You're listening to Rooting Humanity. Welcome back, everybody. Thank you for tuning in. This is our fourth episode where we're going to be looking at Islam, our fourth episode on uh, the Abrahamic beliefs. And why don't we just pick it up right from where we left off. Mackenzie, take it, take it away. Yeah, so today we wanted to look at the third Abrahamic tradition, um, Islam. Uh, we wanted to move into that just by connecting it to the past few episodes. So if you haven't checked those out, we've already talked about Judaism a little bit more in detail uh, for a whole episode. And then we also did an episode on Christianity. And our first, very first episode before we even got into that stuff, we talked about what it means to say that those three faiths are people of the book or Abrahamic traditions or, you know, using some of that language that connects the three. So we talked about how the scriptures uh, and the stories, which might be considered to be the Old Testament in Christianity, how those stories are, are actually a shared history between the three faiths. So just to get going, so we wanted to talk, today we might talk uh, in the context of using the term Allah to mean God, um, because that is what Muslims would refer to God as. But just to be clear, Allah is not different from God the Father, and he's not different from Yahweh. Allah is just, it's really just the Arabic word for God. Uh, and Hatham can correct me if I'm wrong, because I know he knows uh, more Arabic than I do. But, um, uh, and we also wanted to use one example uh, and, to sort of can, can I just sorry, uh, yeah. I just want to add something. Actually, uh, Christian Arabs call when they read the Bible, they uh, when they read it, it's Allah. In, right, in like Arabic speaking Christians. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's I hadn't thought of it, but obviously that would be true. So yeah, like we said, we're not talking about different deities when we use those different terms. If you're interested in diving more into that, then you can check out the very first episode that we did. But I wanted to start off uh, by talking with Haith and with Alex about the angel Gabriel because the angel Gabriel we haven't talked about yet but he actually plays an important role in all three of the faiths and he ha has a particular role uh, of importance in uh, the Islamic religion and so I think that it's an interesting gateway to get from our previous conversations to this one so you may recognize the angel Gabriel as the angel who appeared to Mary in uh, in the New Testament of the of the Christian scriptures in the story of Luke. So we talked about how the scriptures differ last week, but two of the gospels include the infancy narrative um, and Luke is one of them. And in the story of uh, that Luke tells, the angel Gabriel comes to Mary um, and we get that infamous line used in uh, the prayer, the Catholic prayer, Hail Mary. So he does say, Hail, full of grace, the Lord is with you, blessed art thou who are women, which if you went to Catholic school or something like that, you might recognize that prayer. That actually comes from the Gospel of Luke, and it comes from the interaction between Gabriel and Mary. Long story short, Angel Gabriel is the one who tells Mary that she is going to uh, bear a virgin child, and she's going to deliver it, and she requests that she names her child Jesus. And sort of tells her that she's the one who is going to fulfill 
to, to bring about the child to fulfill the prophecies. Um, the angel Gabriel is actually also in the Old Testament or in the Hebrew scriptures. In, uh, in Daniel, in the book of Daniel, uh, angel Gabriel visits the prophet Daniel and um, sort of like translates or helps him contextualize the visions that he's received. So that's important. And I believe he appears in a couple of other books or at least one other, but uh, the prophet Daniel was the example I have on the top of my head. But now moving into Islam, the angel Gabriel is actually believed to be the messenger um, between Muhammad, uh, the most important prophet in, in the Islamic tradition, and God. So uh, I think I'll let Haytham sort of explain a little bit more about um, how the Islamic scriptures that came from Muhammad are believed to have been passed down from God to, uh, to Muhammad and then it's now exists as scripture. So maybe I'll let him take over because he might know a little bit more about that. Sure. Okay. So I just want to clarify a few things. Technically in Islam, there isn't one prophet that's more important than the other. They're okay. all supposed to be equal. So uh, in fact, actually in the, the Quran, so the Quran is the scripture for the Muslims and it's not sp like the, the Quran itself doesn't have a proper name. That's just the name that we use and, colloquial language just to understand because the book itself is just refers to itself as the book like Quran literally means the reading right um or the scripture um it has like several names anyhow just it's actually this is actually a really important situation that I'd like to emphasize here so so there's a very big difference between the religion of Islam as in like practice today okay and Islam as in like the Quran um, now, uh, I'm going to get into that because just like Judaism and Christianity, they evolved, right? It evolved with time. Like, you remember how we said Judaism wasn't necessarily Judaism in the past. It was just the religion of the children of Israel. And the Christians were actually just Jews who believed in Christ, but with St. Paul that um, he's a saint, right? Or a disciple? Sorry, disciple? Uh, St. Paul, he, yeah, a saint. Yeah, yeah. St. Paul. He's now seen um, as a saint, but... Okay, so as St. Paul, like that changed and, it, you know, they welcomed the Gentiles or people who didn't believe in Judaism um, and uh, into the religion. It's the same thing here. So basically you had this book that was, as you said, um, uh, Mackenzie was, was brought down to Muhammad um, through the angel Gabriel. Now, Gabriel is considered the Holy Spirit. Okay, and just like Mackenzie had mentioned He's the one that actually gave uh, the tidings to Mary that she was going to be pregnant with Jesus. So I, I guess it's a good time to get into the, the whole scripture thing and how it started, he, how Muhammad started. Atham, can, uh, we, gonna... can, we, can I interject real quick? Yeah, please. Just, just so for my understanding. So before the religion started to form or mm -hmm. the, the belief of uh, Islam, what was it before that? Thank you. That's actually what I wanted to get into. Okay. Um, uh, so before that, there's two aspects, okay? Um, there's the aspect of the historical aspect based on the scripture, and then there's the historical aspect based on archaeology, okay? And sorry, um, maybe I'll interject for two seconds. <laughs> okay. I just thought of something else that people might be, um, that we're maybe taking uh, for granted, but so Islam is 
is developed in terms of history, Islam is developed later than Christianity and actually quite a bit later. So it's the newest of the world's major religions. And that's just, it's just interesting to note. And I think it's important to note that uh, this was far after Christianity and Christianity had actually already spread quite a bit. And Christianity was were... well developed by them. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So back to Haitham. Continue. Okay. Yeah. That's actually a good point because in Mecca and in Medina where uh, Muhammad had lived his life, uh, there were Christians, there were Jews. There were also uh, what Christians and Jews would call heretics or pagans. Um, and there was also another uh, religion that was practiced. We call it Hanifan or monotheism. Okay. So basically that Hanifan part, they're the monotheistic part, is based on the history that's scriptural now if we look at the archaeological history it's a little different okay so i mean it's hard to really tell if there was some sort of strict monotheism followed before um you know the uh, before muhammad it's hard to pinpoint that archaeologically so from an archaeological perspective the arab tribes in that region um also believed in this because you know palestine or at the time what was you know, Syria, Palestina. Uh, remember, that was a Roman and Greco term referred to, referring to the area of Canaan, where the kingdom of Israel and kingdom of Judea, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, existed. They all believed in very similar gods. So, like Baal was one major god. Okay, now in this area of Arabia, he was known as Hubal. So it was very similar, right? There are multiple gods and goddesses. Right there is Al Uzza, which is basically a um, synesthetic. I mean, it's like a combination of Isis, the Egyptian goddess, and the Greek goddess Aphrodite, who is also a Roman goddess, uh, Venus. Right. Um, there is also uh, Allah, right, which literally means the God. La, right, is God, and then Al. El is just the definite particle the. So the God and the female version of Allah, it was Alati, right? So you had multiple gods and goddesses. Now in ancient Arabia, or I shouldn't say ancient Arabia, just like pre-Islamic Arabia, um, these gods and goddesses, they didn't necessarily take the same shapes and forms that they would have in other ancient cultures through statues. So you guys know how in other, in Roman culture, for example, or Greco-Roman culture, you have like a, a statue of like Zeus and it's like a bearded man. Right. And in, in pre-Islamic Arabia, there were shapes. So you had the circle, you had a triangle, you had a square. And depending on the, the shape, it would basically represent whatever dwelling that god or goddess inhabited. Does that make so sense? They would depict them in ancient no Greece and Rome with people, I guess. Yeah, and in Egypt, like, you know, for human forms with animal heads or, like, actual mm -hmm. animals. And in India, same, like, you know, you have gods and goddesses with multiple arms and whatnot. And so, um, not to jump ahead, but to my knowledge, um, iconography is sort of frowned upon in in Islam or in early Islam, it was frowned upon. And Sorry, can you repeat that, please? Uh, like, iconography. Um, like, if you go okay. into, in a, into a Catholic cathedral, you'll notice, like, there's a lot of depictions um mm -hmm. like a lot of paintings drawings 
yeah, or uh, yeah, Jesus or Mother Mary or um, the the apostles, anything like that. To my knowledge, that's not a large part of Islamic art, is it? Like to depict? No, it's not. Yeah, so iconography, yeah. as far as I know, is sort of it's not a big part of it. And maybe that is. I'm just wondering if maybe that is if there's a connection there between that was already not really like in pre-Islamic Arabia, they weren't Artistic, doing depictions of gods. Or they just weren't well, doing uh, the gods. That's that's definitely a part of it. It's definitely a part of it. But that's mainly because, like in in the in the scripture, um, you know, like in Abraham's story, he was condemning the people for worshiping right. statues, mm-hmm. right? Or, or in 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 ancient Israel, or you know how like in the Exodus when the the he children of Israel took the gold that and they they melted it and formed a calf and they started worshiping a calf. Mm-hmm. So that's more, they, they, they have this tendency to believe that, that it's, it's frowned upon to, to yeah. Iconography and, and whatnot is definitely frowned upon. Um, that's later though. That's in what I'll, what I'll explain okay. that you, that's in the later evolved okay. religion. Okay. So, but the reason why I mentioned the shapes and the squares, and you will find out very soon that you have to keep that in mind. It's very critical. Okay. The ancient, the pre-Islamic Arabs also keep saying ancient. It's not ancient. Pre-Islamic Arabs also had another tradition, religious tradition, called fetishism. Okay, so they would have some sort of fetish, um, like a religious. For example, stones were sacred, right? And if you touch a certain stone, a certain stone was associated or affiliated with a certain god or goddess, mm. right? A green stone represented one god. A red stone represented another god. Uh, a black stone, keep in mind the black stone represented another. Okay. Now, the reason I mention these things is because in Mecca, the main shrine that the Muslims all, whenever they pray, they all point to, right? That Because it's the shrine that was according to the scripture tradition, not the archaeological tradition, according to the scriptural tradition, is the shrine that Abraham had built with his son Ishmael. So you guys remember from previous episodes that Abraham and Ishmael went and settled in Mecca while Isaac and Abraham and Sarah uh, remained in Canaan. Does that, mm-hmm. You guys remember yeah. that, right? Yeah. So that ancient shrine was in tradition and mythology built by Abraham with his son Ishmael, right? Because according to the story, what happened was um, God had sent out this Abraham was like, how, how can you get me to like, this land is barren. It has nothing in it. And you want me to build like a center here? Like it's, there's nothing here. So God sent him these stones from the sky, from space. And there were like these black stones for him to build the shrine to God. And that shrine was meant to be there. And he was meant to feed anybody who would pass by. So if there was a trade caravan or whatever, he was meant to feed those people and give them a place to stay. Okay, that was, again, according to scriptural tradition. Now, archaeological tradition kind of shows us a different story, right? Like I said, they worshipped shapes, right? Or essentially, like the shapes had different forms of gods, right? The square being one of them. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Now, the square is also where this huge shrine was built. It was the main shrine in Mecca. Okay, now that obviously represented some sort of sacred form to the pre-Islamic Arabs, 
Okay. Now, interestingly enough, that that shrine was made up of built of that black stone. You guys remember how I said they had some sort of fetishism? When I say fetish, by the way, it's, I don't mean a sexual connotation. I mean a very different connotation. So they affiliated that black stone with some sort of sacred aspect to it, right? And to this day, you have Muslims whenever they go to the to the Kaaba for the pilgrimage, a lot of them want to touch the black stone because it's like one of the only black stones that are left. You know, they think it's sacred, right? So these pre-Islamic uh, traditions that are like have nothing to do with like the mythology have kind of with more like just archeological uh, remnants of that culture remained and passed over to what we know of as Can Islam. I, just a quick question. What does the rock yeah. look like? I guess people can Google it, but can you describe it? And was it, uh, to our knowledge, was it uh, edited or sculpted by humans or anything? Or is that intact? Nope. It was just a yeah, intact. It's a black stone. I mean, there are there are many left over. Um, they actually have it on the shrine right now, which is made of like bricks now, but they have it in a special enclosed glass uh, to keep it preserved because it's just the Kaaba. You know, there aren't. Okay. Yeah. Just um, but like just that black stone. So if you look at the Kaaba, there's like a little magnifying glass or a glass thing that you could look into, and there is that black. Oh, stone. so it's not very big. It's one of those. No, because there are, they had to rebuild the, they had the shrine multiple times throughout its so history. So the rock right? itself is not very big? I don't know. I've never seen the rock oh, okay. personally. And so, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Hatham, but to go to Mecca and to go to the Kaaba is very sacred mm -hmm. to modern-day Muslims. And it's actually considered very disrespectful for somebody who is not Muslim to go there. Yeah, and that's according to modern Islam, which is again, like I was saying, it's a very, it's evolved to a different religion than the actual right. scripture. Because if you guys remember the actual scripture, the story, mm -hmm. as I said, was Abraham was supposed to build that shrine and to welcome anybody from egg. around yeah. the world to feed them and to take care of them. And it was supposed to be a peace, peaceful passage. And this is very important. This is key because Mecca became a trade center and that shrine that held that, you know, that was built of that sacred stone, right? Held all the gods and goddesses of the ancient world because you had people from all over the world, from India, from China, from Egypt, from Rome, from Greece, all coming about to Mecca to trade, right? It was just a merchant city. Good question. Where is Mecca? Like New York now? City Stock Exchange. Um, it's in present day Saudi okay. Arabia. Okay. That's just so I can picture it. So, so yeah. they would, so they would all go like all kinds of cultures because there's just a, it's literally like the New York Stock Exchange. They would all come here and they would trade, mm -hmm. right? It was just like a nice safe passage, and there were no wars allowed in Mecca, right? You couldn't fight in Mecca because they were smart. The the Meccans, right? They were like, you know what? Let's just make this a trade center, right? So they had this shrine that contained all these gods and goddesses of the world. So let's say you were Greek, you can come and worship your God. Let's say you were Buddhist or, or Hindu, you can come and worship your God or if you're Buddhist, I guess it's a little different because it's not really a religion. Um, but you guys get my point, right? Right. And sorry, just to maybe interject. Right. Um, and so when, to my understanding, when Muhammad, uh, he was in, in his forties, right? When he started to receive revelations from God, and mm -hmm. when he started uh, started to preach, 
And from what I understand, he was very disliked by the Meccans because, firstly, because I think we talked about this last week too, about how the social ethic of Jesus's teachings uh, are complete opposite to consumerism. We have the same mm-hmm. situation going on here. Uh, Muhammad preached a similar message in, in a lot of ways, similar messages uh, of humility, of kindness, um, and sort of like a socialist approach, like taking care of one another type approach. I mean, not in the political sense, but so you get the same sort of situation going on. So Muhammad is teaching these similar ideals just to compare it to Jesus, because I'm comparing it to what we talked about last time, uh, not to compare Muhammad to Jesus, but Muhammad was preaching these similar things also in a consumerist culture, like the, because he was in a merchant city and it was sort of run by the really successful merchants. They really didn't like to hear what Muhammad had to say because in the same way that what we talked about last week, it was like, it was completely controversial and the complete opposite of what was going on there. Similarly, when you're, when Haytham is talking about how they are worshiping many gods and stuff there, and, and it was supposed to be this sort of like melting pot of cultures, the teachings were also contradicted that because now Muhammad is teaching a, um, is, is sort of teaching similar to Jesus, that monotheism. So Muhammad is uh, also a prophet? What yes. is he, Hatham? He's considered a prophet. Yeah, just like Mackenzie said. So he's, he is a just prophet. Just like Jesus so, was a prophet? Uh, I'll, I'll get it. Uh, exactly okay. like that. Well, <laughs> the thing is, in Christianity, you know, Jesus is, is given divine status. Um, and in Islam, no prophets... No humans can be given divine status. They consider that just like in Judaism, they consider that okay. idolatry. Like you can't, okay, the, you can't I give think a this human. Is important uh, that Alex brought this up because there is a misconception, I think, among people who don't know too much about uh, about the theology of Islam. Um, there is a misconception, I think, that that Muhammad becomes sort of deified, but that is absolutely not the case. Just like. Haytham is saying Muhammad is considered to be a prophet equal to the other prophets. So like Elijah or Daniel and so on. Well, that's how it's supposed to be like the according to scripture. Now, modern Islam I is think a we're little getting, different. Yeah, yeah, we're getting that. So like of, the, Haytham the religion it, yeah. that he ended up, yeah, the religion that ended up evolving from it because like, so let's go back to the shrine. Okay. So, so that was the history of the shrine from an archaeological perspective. Now you guys know a little bit about Mecca. Like uh, uh, Alex clarified, it's in modern-day Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia is a very recent country. It would never existed, at, obviously, at the time. Saudi Arabia was created in the 21st century. Okay, So don't make Saudi Arabia up. A lot of people associate Islam with Saudi Arabia. They have nothing, absolutely nothing to do with one another. Um, the actual Saudi tribe came from a completely different region uh, of that Arabian Peninsula. So um, very different people. Anyhow, so Mecca was like a trade center. Now let's go back to Abraham, okay? Now this is the scriptural history now. So Abraham and Ishmael went and built this shrine, um, like we had said, and it was meant to uh, be a safe passage, basically, for anyone who was passing by, okay? That eventually evolved into... Oh, yeah. So when Abraham built his shrine, there was a prayer that he said, right? He said he had asked God, he said, I want this city to be full of people one day. 
right? I want this city to be um, visited by people all from all over the world one day, right? That was his dream. So God had basically responded to his dream and said, uh, you know, inspired him through Gabriel, um, that Gabriel is mainly the messenger spirit, Holy Spirit, who was also a messenger, as Mackenzie mentioned. Um, and so he ins had inspired Abraham and told him, people from all over the world will flock to this land. A little bit of history with Abraham, though. So apparently when he went there, it was completely barren, right? Um, and his wife was like freaking out. His wife was the slave. Um, what's her name? Uh, sorry, Hagar? Uh, Are you asking about yeah, Hagar. Ishmael's There mom? we go. Yeah, yeah. So Hagar, right? And apparently Hagar, because, you know, she had given birth, um, she was looking for water. And there's this famous story that she went from like a certain um, place to another place and like kept going back and forth like seven times. And then finally, you know, she found by a miracle like this river that had come or the spring that had sprung forth from the ground. Um, and the spring to this day actually uh, is in Mecca. I'm not saying like, I'm sure it all always existed, right? I'm just telling you the mythology, right? And to this day, you always have this um, holy water. You guys may have heard of it called Zemzem. It's like a saltier water. Um, so that's the story behind it. I, I figured, you know, to connect it to the modern day, you guys, I, I don't know if you guys have heard of that. <laughs> yeah, me, but, me yeah, yeah. Okay. Who, who is it okay. considered as um, holy water to? To Muslims. Okay, to Muslims. Just to clarify. Okay. Yeah. Because it was like a spring that came forth from a barren mm -hmm. land. Um, right? That's the story. But anyhow, so that city eventually evolved. Now, we're now in like pre-Islamic Arabia, right? So you have these tribes, right? You have Bani Quraysh, okay? And you have Bani Hashim. Right, these are the big, big tribes. Just like what Mackenzie said, they're like big merchant tribes. Right, it was run by a whole bunch of merchants. Now, the prophet was from, or Muhammad, was from Beni Hashim, not Beni Quraysh. Right, so he was born into Beni Hashim, and his his grandfather was the one. He was born an orphan, um, so his grandfather was the one who raised him. His grandfather's name was Abdul Muttalib, and Abdul Muttalib believed in Abraham's religion, which was, you guys remember how he said it was, there was another religion called Hanifan or monotheism. So Muhammad would have grown up to his grandfather's religion, which was monotheism. So he didn't follow the typical practices of the Meccans of like many gods and, you know, all kinds, the merch, the, not, not that he was a merchant, so not the merchant way of life. He had nothing against being a merchant, but more like um, spiritual belief. You know, the, the Meccans were very extravagant. Right. We're talking like orgies and stuff. <laughs> okay. They, they like to have fun. They would have like drunk parties and all kinds of stuff. Right. So um, he was more, I guess he was raised in a different way. Right. But anyhow, so he was raised according to his grandfather's religion which was uh, monotheism and abraham's god specifically okay so when he was 40 as mackenzie said that's when he started receiving his message all right now a lot of people uh want to know a little bit of it, about his life well 
He had married um, a merchant woman. Her name was Khadija. She was older than him. Um, significantly Is that older than him. But she was also... Yeah, I didn't really... It wasn't a big deal. Like, okay. yeah. Because it was more alliances, right? Like, like family alliances. Now, when people, for example, make up stories and say, oh, well, he married a little girl. That's complete nonsense. That's it's just, I, I don't even know where the heck they get that. He, that's not how things worked back then. Basically, it was typical tribal alliances, right? Like people used to marry just like Merging in Europe, powers, right? Yeah. It wasn't it make, any different. Makes sense. Exactly, right? And they could be 11 years old, 12 years old, because that was the marital, marital mm-hmm. age at the time, right? But anyhow, so he married her, and she was a very successful merchant. Now, this is important because it shows you that women actually had rights, right? Um, she had, she was Power, a successful merchant too. To a leader, right? Wow. Yeah. Right. And, and the reason I mentioned that is because in modern Islam, in many places, you see women are actually not treated very well, right? Like in Saudi Arabia, only recently were they allowed to drive or, or that sort of thing. Imagine back then, you know, they could, they could own property they could run a business all kind they had property rights they had inheritance rights. so it's like it's very counterindictive to modern islam right but anyhow um this is important because it shows also muhammad became a merchant and he also became a successful merchant and muhammad could read and write okay now a lot of modern muslims will say no he couldn't read and write and the quran was his miracle that's not true According to the actual scripture, he could read and write. So I, I mentioned these things because it causes a lot of confusion to people. Um, and I just want to clarify it. Um, anyhow, so he was in a cave. He used to go to a cave often and just chill and contemplate life, <laughs> I suppose. And one day he was um, visited by Gabriel, right? Now, I don't know how he was visited by Gabriel right? He's just, it doesn't really go into details. It just says he was inspired by Gabriel and he was told to read um, in the name of God, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it was basically the first chapter of this series of scriptures or readings or chapters that would be given to him. And essentially they were the practice of the religion. Okay. Now he wrote them down. Now, Modern Islamic tradition doesn't say that. Modern Islamic tradition says he was illiterate and that he had scribes write write it. Now, the reason I mention this is because when we go into the later history of Islam, you'll see where the politics, just like the Nicene Creed came in Mm -hmm. with Christianity, you'll see where this stuff started coming in. Because this, this is important for the political, you know, just like the Nicene Creed, you'll see where things are manipulated for political advantage. So it's very important that you guys understand he wrote what he was inspired, right? So he actually had his own scripture, okay? So this is what he would have taught. And just like Mackenzie said, it basically screwed the Meccans over because just like Christianity, it gave the poor now something of value, mm-hmm. you know? It gave the slave something of value you know he was now treated a slave could be treated with respect the slave was supposed to be freed for example right um and this really pissed off the meccans because they're like hey 
stop telling our slaves, for example, right? Like, or stop um, telling our slaves that they can, or, you know, they have equal power in the eyes of God and stuff like that. Yeah, like so a lot of the same stuff that right? we talked about um, last week with Judaism. Yeah, the, the, like exactly. you, I like how you put it last right? time. The there he started to disrupt the the status quo mm-hmm. of the current system. Exactly. Right, because it's Abraham's religion. These are these are things that are consistent throughout, th- like the Abrahamic religions. Okay, this isn't something new. Like he didn't come up with a different religion, like modern Islam tries to make it seem. No, that's completely false. Again, that's a political. There are political like reasons. You'll learn about that later. Yeah, there you go. It was literally a continuation of a series of traditions. Remember, Christians and Jews were living in the city yeah, as well. If, I don't know, correct right? me if I'm wrong, but um, I learned this. I don't think it was, I think it was from an Islamic source, but I'm not sure if it was from this. Um, I don't know where it's from, but uh, I think it was from maybe from the book, The History of God, but that, it, uh, that, um, Muhammad himself actually had, I can't remember if it was an aunt or an uncle or a cousin or something who was a very faithful Christian. And when Gabriel mm-hmm. first visited him, he was sort of confused and, and a lot like a lot, a lot of the other prophets from the Hebrew Bible. He's like, you know, mm-hmm. I'm not worthy of this. What's going on? You know, what is God trying to tell me? So then he goes to this family member who's a very faithful Christian. And it's actually that family member that helps him begin to understand the revelations i don't know if that's if that's a general uh, belief but i i did read that somewhere which is even if it's just a story it's interesting well it is it's uh, i've never heard that particular story but that's interesting because i know that um it was a christian man who basically helped them because muhammad was being harassed so like um it was a christian guy who took took him sheltered him um you know mm-hmm. took care of his wounds and whatnot uh, because they believe right. in the same thing. Maybe right? there's just a, a version um, of it no. which it's a family, it's a Christian family member, but it's the same sort of. It, I, it, I'm pretty sure it might have, it most likely was a Christian family member because they were right. all cousins at the time, right? They're all big families um, and they're all some sort of at right. least distant cousins, right? So the interesting thing is this though. So yeah, so Muhammad was preaching his religion. It didn't really work out in Mecca um, because he's really screwing up the status quo. Like in Mecca, they used to bury their daughters alive. They had a daughter. They'd be angry that they had a daughter, and then they would just bury them alive, right? Um, it's a really sick practice, kind of like in Sparta, you know, when you would leave a baby basically out in the mountain, and then if it dies, it dies, right? Like if it I doesn't, I, then it's a survivor, and you keep it. I'm, now I'm confused. I thought that uh, women yeah. were more had more uh, rights back then. So, but they were still burying them alive. Rights are right. very relative, right? So, right, not like today's rights, right? So, rights relative to the okay. other ancient parts of the world, right? But also, you have to remember this: women were kind of considered um, a liability because. <laughs> Uh, a lot of those men, men, it was a patriarchal society. So a lot of those men, if you wanted to carry your name and your legacy, you needed a son, right? Now, women had rights. Like, let's say if you owned a business, you could keep it. That's very different from like, I'm having a baby and I need a warrior so he could fight for me. 
and now I have a girl and now I have to find a husband for her who will yes, make sure yes. that it'll like family alliances okay, and all this understood. stuff. Right. Um, so again, it's very relative so just because you have property rights and, and, you know, inheritance rights and whatnot doesn't necessarily mean that you're untouchable, you know? Yeah. Right. Um, I mean, I don't know if there is any archaeological evidence that they used to bury their daughters. I don't know. I'm just okay. giving you that based on the scripture. That was apparently a practice back then. And Islam had forbidden it, right? So this pissed off people as well. So what I'm trying to get across is that what he taught definitely wasn't consistent with the status quo, and he needed to go. So they harassed mm -hmm. the crap out of him, right? They harassed him to the point where he left to a different city. Now, the first city he left to... Yathrib, that didn't work out either. So he had to go to another city, Medina. Medina at the time was basically a Jewish city. It was populated mainly by Jews. There were the very uh, strong people in the city. And because being Jewish, they understood his message and they welcomed him. Right? So as he was in the city, um, he started having more power. And I guess more influence over people around him as people started converting to his message, right? Um, eventually, that evolved and they became powerful enough and they had a series of little battles with Mecca and they ended up going to Mecca and he ended up going back to his homeland and they basically submitted their forces to him. They, they didn't really end up fighting because they knew they basically lost. So, so, you know, he was able to conquer Mecca. time away, he built right? up an army? Well, he built up a series of followers. And the armies back okay. then, man, were very small. Like, there were, there were tribal wars. Like, you, you still see tribal wars in that part of the world, believe it or not, amongst Bedouins. So you have, like, little tribes. And they have... It's not like... Not like the Roman armies that troops. we're used to seeing in no. movies. Okay. No. No, so he like built up the following. Right. Well, how um, many years did, do we know that he was away, or do we have a ballpark? I don't know. Maybe twenty. Maybe okay. less. So he was actually, away for a couple like 10, years. And ten he years. Built up the following and came back to Mecca. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, the Meccans were still mm -hmm. fighting him throughout that time, right? They weren't. They were still chasing the guy, right? Because Benny Hashem is still like a, a, a like don't re don't forget they're like they're mm -hmm. like rival tribes right Beni Quraysh was the main big tribe but Beni Hashim was like a rival tribe um now anyhow they always had wars these tribes constant wars right um local wars right um anyhow so he was able to 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 he was able to be victorious over the uh, Meccans and he was able to take Mecca Right. And then he continued obviously preaching his message till he died. So he died a natural now, death. Yeah, he died a natural death. Now he obviously had his friends and his family, right? He had Ali, right, which is his uh daughter's son. Okay. Very, very, very important character for the later of politics, right? He had his buddies, his best friend was called Abu Bakr. Um, and then he, he had other friends uh, like Omar or Omar, right? And then you had another friend called Othman or Othman, right? These are very important characters, as you will see when it comes to the politics and the history of the Islam, how Islam evolved, 
Okay. But before I go into that, I wanted to get into the spiritual yes, aspect a little bit. So, um, like I said, Muhammad was just a follower of Abraham's religion. Okay. Anyone who tells you that, oh yeah, it's a, you know, Muhammad was a separate prophet or he was a unique prophet or like a special status. Nope, not at all. If you read the scripture, how many times do you think Muhammad's mentioned in the scripture? I, I would have no clue. <laughs> Just take a um, guess. Hundreds? Probably not very much. Once. Yeah. Jesus mentioned way more. Moses is mentioned more than anyone. Joseph is mentioned more than Muhammad. All of them are mentioned way more than Muhammad. Can, can you go into like the once. Jesus really quick? Like just a little tangent. Remember when you were telling me those facts and it blew me away? Sure. So basically, like like I like I said, they in the scriptures are all preaching the same religion. Okay. So it gives the same stories that you would find in the Bible. Except maybe in the Bible it's more detailed in some places, and in the Quran it's more detailed in other places. One of the stories are the story of Jesus. Okay. Now they differ from the one in the Bible because the Muslims don't believe um, that Jesus died on the cross. They believe he was saved. Um, that's actually consistent with also Gnosticism, which was, if you guys remember, before Trinitarianism came along, a lot of Gnostics believed, based on the book of St. Peter, which doesn't exist in the modern gospel, but based on the book of St. Peter, um, the Romans were torturing an empty, soulless body. So Muslims believe the same thing, that the Romans were made, were fooled to be made to think that they were torturing and crucifying Jesus, but in fact, they were just torturing an empty body, kind of like a robot, right? But basically, Gabriel um, comes to Mary. He says, hey, Mary, um, you're going to be pregnant. And then Mary's like, there's actually a whole chapter for Mary, just for Mary, right? Because she's considered like one of the most sacred women in like Abrahamic yeah. religions. And she's like, how can I have a child when Maybe no man has touched me? Go ahead, Mackenzie. Because, um, yeah, it's interesting what you said about Mary as a figure in Islam. She is an important figure, obviously, in, in the Christian account of the infancy narrative and in the life of Jesus. And, and she is mentioned in the Gospels. Um, in the other Gospels, which don't have the infancy narrative, she is mentioned a lot less. And aside from the infancy narrative, she's actually not in the scriptures a lot. The Roman Catholic Church has has really embraced Mary and and actually believes in the assumption of Mary, so that so you know that Mary was brought up to be at the right hand of God, um, and that Mary is is very important and sacred to uh, to their followers, to the to Roman Catholic believers. However, Protestantism, in a lot of ways, has removed Mary from the narrative. They do believe, obviously, that Mary had a virgin birth. Actually, some of them maybe would say that she wasn't a virgin, um, but that still that the incarnation came through her, not through the general way that somebody would conceive, but that God put Jesus in her, right? But they don't view Mary as sacred in the same way that Roman Catholic. I'm actually not sure where uh, Greek Orthodoxy stands on this, so I'd have to look into that. But actually, so the Islamic perspective on Mary might actually be more generous than that of a lot of Protestant perspectives on Mary. So that's just maybe interesting for people to understand. But 
that Mary and Jesus were a very were a big part well, of. Well, firstly, yeah, firstly that they are they're a big part of the like that they're included in the Islamic scripture and stuff like that, but also that Mary's actually looked upon more favorably um, in Islam than in some modern uh, Protestant interpretations of the scriptures. That's interesting. I didn't know that actually. Um, but so basically, like Mary, you know, like she, it was according to the story, you know, Zachariah, had, even since she was a child, you know, Zachariah apparently would go and this is based on the scripture, right? Um, Zachariah would go to her, anyhow. So apparently Zachariah used to go into her room and he would find like playthings and, and toys and whatnot. And he'd be like, where, where in the world did you get this stuff? And she would be like, well, God has blessed me with them. So she was right. always like a blessed child. Um, but anyhow, so this, later in her life, you know, Gabriel comes along and Gabriel he's like, also um, Zachariah I have some news. The Christian account because and, oh, okay. uh, that's, that's, gives that's his wife, Elizabeth, uh, his wife Elizabeth is very elderly, and it seems absurd that she could conceive. Mm -hmm. um, but God tells, or Gabriel, you know, being the messenger of God, tells her that uh, tells Zachariah that Elizabeth will conceive, and that child is actually John the Baptist. Oh, wow! Who is cousin? Jesus, yeah, father. Oh, okay, cousin. Excuse me. So, you know, Mary's being told basically by Gabriel. Uh, yeah, you know, you're going to have a baby. And she's like, how can I have a baby if no man has touched me? And then he says, well, this is God, what God wills, right? So she ends up having a baby. Um, and she has this baby alone. And she feels horrible about it, because she feels like everyone in her tribe is going to be like, Oh, my God, she committed adultery. Like she committed a horrible crime, etc, etc, etc. So she's freaking out. Um, but as she's freaking out, the baby speaks to her, baby Jesus, right? Um, and he says, don't freak out. Uh, don't worry, I'll take care of this, right? So <laughs> interestingly enough, right? But I love so how you put she it. She goes to her tribe. Baby Jesus being um, super and, chill, like, chill, mom, I'll take care of that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right? So apparently she goes to her tribe and they're like, oh my God, what have you done, Mary? You've committed a gross sin. What's wrong with you? And then they're like oh why aren't you speaking and then she just points to jesus and jesus starts talking to them and they're all like blown away they're like oh my god right so he was like a a miracle child right like not only was he born from a virgin mother but he was speaking to people and he could eventually as he grew older he was able to heal the lepers and resurrect the dead right eventually though like you know there's that story of judah uh, betraying Jesus, uh, one of the disciples that is betraying Jesus, and you know the Romans uh, crucifying him. So as I said before, though the Muslims didn't really believe that Jesus was crucified. They believed that um, by then the the Jesus was raised to the heavens, and that there was like an empty soulless body, and that the Romans were fooled to think that they had crucified him, but they actually didn't. And that Jesus will come again um, at the day of reckoning or the day of judgment because God apparently will ask Jesus. Yeah, now I'm wondering, wondering right if it's now, really yeah, my yes. mic. <laughs> um, so, yeah, apparently Jesus or God will ask Jesus on the day of reckoning. Did, did I ever tell these people to or did you ever tell these people to worship you? 
And then he'll be like, no, I would never do that. Because basically in, in the Quranic um, Islam, the whole thing, the most important thing is that you believe in God. That's it. Believe in God in the afterlife. That's like the key aspects of Islam. I think that's why it's a, it's a little different from Judaism and Christianity in that respect. You don't have to believe in anything else. Everything else can be forgiven because God's supposed like infinitely merciful. So judgment is left to God, right? But the worst thing you could do is not believe in God in Islam, right? Um, or commit idolatry or like believe that God is weak in some way or undermine God by saying he needs a partner. Cause that's like the key tenet in Islam, like that God is this thing that has, there's nothing like him. This is exactly what it says. There's nothing like it. And it has no equal. It doesn't give, it's not been born. It wasn't, it doesn't give birth and there's nothing like it. And it has no equal. That's the key tenet in Islam, right? So to, to believe in anything else is like the worst crime. You can not believe in any prophets, but as long as you believe in God, that's the most important thing in Islam. Um, now, speaking of Islam, we call it Islam. Again, there is no name for it. Just like Judaism, that's a name that came later. We made it up. Uh, as, in, as Mackenzie so eloquently put, it's a culture. Um, Christianity were uh, people who believed in Christ. Islam, that's a name we made up. There was no name for Muslims. In, in the actual scripture, it says Muslim. It's just Muslim literally means someone who that gives himself to God. translate essentially to, to mean submission or obedience? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, submission kind of has a connotation, like if you right. submit yourself in battle, right? Uh, but that's more out of force. Whereas this is more out of yeah, like, more like being at least um, the way that, yeah, the way that I devotion way that I've learned it, uh, maybe from a more mystical point of view would be that to submit is sort of to like lay your life at God's feet. Right. And sort of, yeah, I guess in a metaphorical sense, because this is key as well. Why? Because you guys remember how I said, you, you don't have to, so there's in, in a scriptural Islam, right? Like I said, there's no name for the religion. So they wouldn't even call it Islam. It would be Hanifan or monotheism because it's Abrahamic's religion. And mind you, Abraham and Moses and all those guys weren't the only prophets. According to the scriptural tradition, every tribe on earth received some sort of message, right? Um, so we just don't have necessarily all their names. But anyhow, the reason why that whole submission part is important, as Mackenzie brought up, is because in, in the scripture, there's a difference between submission or obedience uh, or giving yourself to God and believing, mu'min. So there's Muslim and there's mu'min, right? Now, mu'min is someone who believes. When I say believes, I mean who believes in the prophets, believes in the angels, believes in Moses, believes in Jesus, believes in the scriptures. Um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So you could be someone who is obedient in submitting to God, but you don't necessarily have to yeah. be a believer. Does that make sense? Again, this is, uh, let me just clarify here, guys. This is scriptural Islam. So this is what the reading or the scripture says. Now, modern day Islam 
It's Are we at the point of going into modern Islam? Okay. Yeah. I just wanted to make, make clarify these few things and show how uh, similar, because it's just an extension of Abraham's religion. I just wanted to make sure that people understand that it's not a unique religion. Like according to scripture, there's no proper name of a religion called Islam that doesn't exist. It's just the, the practices of Abraham. Now, before I go into the modern Islam, I just want to explain a few things. You know how uh, you guys have, you guys have heard of how Muslims, for example, sacrifice sheep, right? So that's the story of Abraham and Isaac in the Bible or in the Old Testament, yeah. rather, where Abraham was, had a yeah, dream. So essentially, Can you I go into that story, please? One of the other episodes, but basically in the Christian, or sorry, I shouldn't say Christian, in the Hebrew account, in the Hebrew Bible and, and what becomes the Old Testament, the story is that God asks Abraham, you know, so Isaac was this miracle child and he was believed to be this gift from God. And, and, you know, just to put more context to it so we can understand how crazy this would have seemed to Abraham. But God asks Abraham, you know, take Isaac up the mountain and sacrifice him to me. And then I will know that you're truly loyal to me. You know, if you're willing to give up this, you know, a miracle child. Um, and then they go all the way up the mountain and basically he's ready to sacrifice Isaac and he's willing. And at that point, God interjects and says, okay, hold up. You, this is enough. <laughs> the fact that you were going to do it is enough to show me that you are beyond loyal to me. Like you're worthy of the promise and that sort of thing. Yeah. Thank you. So, uh, Islam has the exact same story, but instead of Isaac, it's Ishmael. Um, and here's also another difference. Now, in, in Islam, it's not like God had told Abraham to do this. What happened was Abraham had a dream, and Abraham happened to interpret it as in God told him to do this. So he woke up, and he was like, oh, my God. And he goes to his son. And he's like, hey, I had this dream. What do you think it means? Do you think it's God trying to tell me something? So Ishmael tells him, well, I don't know, but, you know, like, do what you feel is right. So Abraham starts, you know, creating this whole notion in his mind that he has to go sacrifice his son for God. Um, and he goes about, just like Mackenzie said, and, and he's about, you know, he walks with Ishmael and Ishmael is willing, again, submitting himself, you're right, to his father. And then eventually, you know, when they reach the spot, they find like a lamb or a sheep. And then I guess that's where Abraham realizes that he made a mistake and that he misinterpreted the dream. And it was actually a dream from the devil to try and trick him basically and entice him to, to believe that he was supposed, you know, God told him to sacrifice his son. And instead uh, God saved him by sending like a sheep or a lamb to be sacrificed. Muslims to this day um, have decided that they also have to copy this practice. Um, and they also to follow more, I guess, more in line with the Isaac story that, you know, God was that God commanded Abraham to go and sacrifice his son. And then, you know, he sent the sheep. Um, so that's where the whole tradition of Muslims making a sacrifice Sorry, to sheep just and to basically clarify, following the footsteps of Abraham. Um, as far as I know, there's other than Sufism, which is separate. There's like two main streams of Islam. Mm -hmm. Uh, would both streams mm -hmm. practice that? The sacrifice? That's a very good question. To be honest, uh, I'm not 100% okay. sure, but I believe so. Um, but this is important 
because it goes back to the whole Islam isn't a separate religion. It's the religion of Abraham because all the stuff that they're doing, whether it's pilgrimage to Mecca or, you know, going and sacrificing a sheep, they're doing it because they're copying Abraham. They're not copying Muhammad here. Yeah. Does that make sense? So now let's get into the politics because this is where it gets really interesting. And then starts, you guys start understanding why the heck. Uh, like, before we go in there, can like, I just a quick question? Happened? Now, okay. the, what the belief was set, like it was formed by then because uh, mm-hmm. like the, the story is explained. Now it's like when we're talking about Christianity after Jesus died in many, many years, centuries passed, and then Christianity was formed. We're at that point, right? Yeah, basically. So basically, when Muhammad died, um, chaos <laughs> erupted, okay? Literally, like, because you had all these people that hated him, right? And he, he didn't kill them, obviously, right? Because, like I said, there weren't, like, war wars. It was a lot like, do you guys, any one yeah. of you watched the movie Troy? Okay, well... Alex, you remember how in the beginning of the movie Troy, uh, they spared their mm-hmm. armies by just getting the two great warriors to fight, you yes. know, Achilles and uh, Boagris. So it was the same thing, right? Instead of fighting actual war wars, they would just get like their greatest fighters. They would fight with each other. I think in the American West, it was kind of like that too. And that would determine yeah, they would pick a champion. whether you would win the battle or not. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Right. And the champions would do exactly. the fighting. Okay. And that way you could spare a whole bunch of bloodshed as well. Right. So, so the same thing here. Right. So all these people that were technically in war with him were all alive for the most part. Right. So they hated him and they, they, they hated the guy, um, especially because, you know, he essentially took over the city and he instituted a new constitution, you know, fairness and justice. You have to treat slaves. Right. You have to give, you have to support the poor. You have to, you can't charge usury, like excessive interest. Um, exactly, right? You can charge interest, another big misunderstanding in modern Islam, um, but you can't charge usury. You can't, can't screw people over. So they hated him, right? He completely destroyed their power center. So when he died, basically you had his friend. So you had this like, sort of democratical or more of like a republic where you had the 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 uh almost like a senate form and they decided who's going to rule now who's going to rule the meccans and the medinans right um and they picked his best friend abu Bakr, right and apparently this is where the age of the so-called victories start happening where the actual actually begin conquering other lands um now Sorry, the, the, can I just ask so-called I uh, thought that there was sort of a dispute yeah. like the some people thought that they had picked the best friend and other people thought they had picked somebody that he had picked somebody else that's actually that's that's correct um i was actually going to get into that but that's very correct so technically the, the dispute wasn't there quite yet because they all believed including including ali that Abu right. Bakr was the rightful because he was his buddy, right? Um, okay, go on. But that's going to come in like very soon, right? So uh, it's good that you mention it because that's key, right? So, um, you know, this is where the area of what they called the Futahat, Futahat means the openings come along, where basically the influence or expansion of Islam, 
okay? Now, they use the word futahat, which means the openings, okay? It's military conquests. That's really what it is, right? Now, military, they, the reason they say futahat is because you're not allowed to go into war in Islam, in the Quran, right? Um, unless you're, you're only allowed to defend yourself from conquest, right? So another very different aspect in modern Islam, right? So and call it the, the victories were opening these cities and expanding this new religion. These were completely against the tenets of Islam. You're not supposed to go and conquer people or force your religion on other people. It's very clear in the scripture. Um, many, many places in the scripture for completely forbids that. But obviously these people are just politicians and they're wealthy now and they're united, right? They have, they're, they have a lot of power and they're just going to go and start doing that. But anyhow, so after Abu Bakr came Omar, okay? Again, it wasn't disputed because Omar was, he was considered a pretty strong leader and they all respected him, including Ali. So, you know, they didn't really dispute anything with Omar coming into power. Anyways, same thing happened, you know, new military conquests, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The expansion and the influence of Islam even more, right? Then, after Omar's death, now Omar was apparently assassinated um, as he was praying. This is where okay. what you're talking about, Mackenzie, comes into play. So here is where the dispute comes. Now they're saying, okay, well, who should come and rule us? Should we get Ali, who is the Prophet's nephew? Should we get the Prophet's nephew because he was raised by Muhammad? Right? Or should we get Othman? Now, Uthman bin Affan was actually from the enemy tribe of the Prophet. So you remember how are the, mm -hmm. there is the Beni Hashim, the Beni Quraysh? So Uthman or Uthman was from Beni Quraysh. Now, he was a follower of the Prophet from the beginning, apparently, from the stories. But he was still from the, from the other tribe, the tribe that was full of the right. people that hated the Prophet. Okay? So they were very wealthy still very powerful and he was also a very rich successful merchant and he was also the type of dude that would be like yeah neutral like he will try to keep the peace between everyone and satisfy everybody you know like let's say if you have the oil people who come along and he'll be like yeah yeah you can you can build your oil wells and pollute like he's that type of guy right so obviously what ended up happening is they ended up picking him they didn't pick ollie this was a big, big, big issue. This is what caused the split because people were like, no, Ali's supposed to be the, the, uh, the leader, right? And the others were like, no, Othman is going to be the leader and we're following uh, Othman. Now, here's a very critical point because you guys remember how I mm -hmm. said the prophet wrote the actual scripture with his hand? This is where all came that he didn't write it and that he couldn't read and write because guess what so Othman right um ends up because apparently there were many copies of the Quran that were all different you know and he he was fearing that you know they would lose the actual Quran so he gathered up all the other copies and he burned them and he wrote with his own hand the only true version of the Quran I to see. preserve the Quran Okay, so that's the that's what I was saying about the Nicene Creed type thing. Now, who know? Like he may have, I don't know. We, we can't really tell. The guy may have really had good intentions, and he really wanted to preserve 
the Quran because every, after that only his version was distributed. Nobody really knows, right? Um, because apparently there's a story that um, Fatima, so Ali's mother, who is the pro- Muhammad's son, right, um, came along and she had her dad's copy, the one that he had written with his own hand. And apparently uh, one of the guys, not Uthman, but one of the guys destroyed that copy. He took it and he burned it. He set it on fire. So it begs the question, mm-hmm. why the heck would you burn the original copy? Right? But anyhow, um, after that, you had the great split. So Ali had his followers, um, certain places, I believe, like Egypt. And um, by then, it had spread to like Egypt and Syria and, and Iraq, obviously, right? So he had certain followers in Iraq and in Egypt. Um, whereas Othman had certain followers somewhere else, right? Um, anyhow, that ended up evolving. Um, Othman ended up dying, and Ali was supposed to be like the rightful heir now, right? Like no disputes, but he wasn't. They didn't accept him, and another guy came in uh, called Muawiyah, who was the main enemy, the leader of the like the 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 people that stood against Muhammad during his lifetime. So basically is interesting because now from like a, a historical perspective, that's really like the height of Islamic culture. And, you know, what you said, Mackenzie, with regards to the art, for example, right. they would use geometric art and, and whatnot. And you got literature and you got the integration of Roman culture with, with this Arabic culture. Cause the Arabs were a lot like the Romans in the sense that they were just like, conquerors they didn't really disturb you they didn't say like you have to believe in what we believe no like all they did was like yo you pay taxes and that's it like they were just like yeah right so a lot of people have this notion that they came in and they forced people their religion on people no no they didn't they didn't want it first of all it doesn't even make sense because majority of the people at the regions where they conquered were christian Right, like Egypt was completely Christian, for example. Doesn't make sense to go to a country who's a majority of a religion, and you are a minority. You're like a very small population, and convert them. Not going to happen. What makes more sense, and what's consistent with them, is they would charge something called the jizya. The jizya was a tax. Any non-Muslim would have to pay this tax. The reason being, only Muslims could be in the in the army. Right. So the excuse was. Um, we're defending you. We're protecting you. We're your protectors. So you have to pay us tax. Whether you like it or not, you're a protector. Uh, we're your protectors. So it's still like enforced on them. You know, we're the conquerors. Is it? Yeah. We're your protectors. Like extortion. Uh, uh, does that make sense? Yeah, that's literally what it is, right? So you have to pay us tax. We'll leave you alone. You can do your own thing. In fact, not only can you do your own thing, you can even work for the government, for our government, right? Just learn Arabic and do it our administration and whatnot. And you're good to go, but you have to pay our tax, right? So they got extremely freaking wealthy, right? Now, uh, this is the time when Ali and Muawiyah and Yazid, Yazid is the son of Muawiyah, um, went into war and stuff. And basically, just so you guys know what ended up happening to Ali, he was killed. His two sons, Hassan and Hussein, were, were slaughtered. They brought his head on a plate, right? Like, it was really brutal. It was a nasty brutal time it was very bloody 
Um, and it's interesting because this created a, the great split. You have the Shiites who are basically what would have been the followers of Ali, right? Believing that Ali was the rightful leader. And you have the Sunnis who believe that Muawiyah was the that rightful leader. That still exists today. Yeah. So basically, um, after, you know, the whole war that was basically created the great schism between the Muslims and two Shiites, those who followed Ali and the Sunnis, those who followed Maoya and Yazid. Um, eventually, a few hundred years later, maybe 100, 200, 300 years, there was this new tradition, this oral tradition that started coming about called the Hadiths. And the Hadiths are literally just mean sayings or quotes. That's actually a very good way of putting it. Quotes, quotations. And the quotations basically were springing up from everywhere, okay? Um, and people would just randomly say, oh, I heard that the prophet or Muhammad had said blah, 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 right? And then they needed a way to sort of create some sort of, um, I guess, accountability or some sort of like uh, accuracy they just needed a way to keep track of who was just making up stuff or who was actually had some sort of account so they would be like they created these chains so they would say oh i heard uh, x who heard y who heard z say that muhammad said this and this and this right um, now eventually because there's so many uh, of these hadiths or these quotes that were springing up you had these authors um, that had come about in Uzbekistan and Kazakhstan. So this is how far Islam had spread by then, right? Um, who basically, who were like scholars, if you will. And they actually apparently researched the authenticity of these uh, quotes, right? And they created these books, these two main books. It's, one is called Sahih Muslim um, and the other one is Sahih Bukhari. From Bukhari means like he's from a place in, like there's a place called B Bukhara, right? I think it's in Kazakhstan or Uzbekistan, something like that. Um, and anyhow, these became really the authenticated hadiths, the hadiths that according that passed this analysis, right? That considered these oral tradition hadiths were the ones that are considered like relatively authentic, right? And this is what really creates mainstream or modern-day Islam. Because modern-day Islam is not the scripture. Modern-day Islam is the scripture and these sayings, these quotations of the Prophet. You can actually say that the quotations are a lot like the Talmud. The Talmud is the rabbinical sayings, but the only difference is this is more like the what is attributed to the Prophet as his sayings, aside from the actual scripture. So that, that's really interesting. Yeah. Mackenzie, anything to add? No, I think that he summed it up really well. Um, and that just to summarize, um, since we're getting towards the end of our, our talk, um, that, that these hadiths have a large influence on uh, the way that modern Muslims uh, practice Islam. Yeah. So I think that yeah, that's just that's important to note and and that the both the 
the teachings, the quotations, the hadith, or what, whatever you want to call them, and the Quranic writings hold sacred power to them. Mm-hmm. Unless I'm misspeaking, but and oftentimes the the scriptures interpreted interpreted through the lens of the uh, saints. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, right. So, um, which which is interesting, um, but that's the case. And even in the mosques, you'll find that often it's the hadiths that are quoted um, rather than the actual scripture. So, would uh, the hadiths be sung? Uh, no, nope. not at all. Because no. I, I don't know if that's maybe that's an point. older practice, but the Quran is typically saying, right? Yeah. Or chanted. Uh, no, it's it's saying. I mean, yeah. a lot of people are they would call it chanting, but it's singing. Yeah, exactly. It's just like the the hymns, right? Yeah, it's a it's pretty. It's a really neat experience. I mean, really beautiful. I, I think it also helps with memorization and the oral tradition. Yeah. If you have like a, some sort of song or or chant. Uh, more mm-hmm. like a song or a hymn, um, and and you're just you know reading it like that. It's just it's it's powerful. It helps with the memory as well. Mm-hmm, uh, for sure. That's uh, I can see definitely interesting. Can, yeah. Uh, sorry. Sorry. Hate. Can you? Uh, we'll wrap things up for us because we're at the end of our three of looking into our three Abrahamic religions. Well, can I just what do we add? Have? Sorry, Alex. I just want to interject really quick, just to co- connect everything, just to help with the connection. Yeah. Because uh, Muslims consider Jerusalem very uh, sacred. And the reason why I want to mention this, because it will help tie everything together as well, is because when Muhammad was alive, and you remember how I said the, the shrine was still full of um, pagan gods or like gods that are not acceptable in the Abrahamic religions. Mm-hmm. So you know how Muslims have to point to a certain direction to pray? Yes. So they were at the time pointing to the Temple of Solomon in Jerusalem. Oh, wow. So until the shrine was actually cleansed or purified, they were all pointing towards the Temple of Solomon because that was considered the sacred spot. You mean by pointing is when they do their prayer, the bowing of the prayer is towards the the Temple of Solomon because that was considered... Like mosque in Arabic is just literally means place of prostration where you prostrate yourself before God. And they considered the first uh, or one of the greatest places of prostration, not the first, because that would have been in Adam's time, right? Was the temple of Solomon. Um, So I just figured that, that, you know, it's a very important aspect to mention why Jerusalem holds such a sacred position in modern day Islam and, you know, with the whole politics and whatnot. And all three, yeah. And actually, in terms of all three religions, they use the term axis mundi. It means like center of the world. And so that's changed. I'm not sure. I think that like the religious study of Islam would consider Mecca to be the axis mundi now. But um, for for Jewish people and for Christians, the axis mundi is still considered to be Jerusalem so it's it's the center of our spiritual world and like our spiritual geography um, and that's a whole study in, a, in and of itself but it's just interesting and I always thought that was such a beautiful term and sort of just an interesting way to understand it and I don't think I really I think that that's embraced a lot more obviously in in Islamic prayer like like we were just talking about they used the Mecca compass or before it would have been they would have found themselves pointing towards Jerusalem so that's really interesting Mm-hmm. And the Islamic religion is very embodied 
and you'll notice that a lot of the practices involve embodied ritual a lot more than modern Christianity or Judaism, which is something I really admire about about Islam, which is like, it makes it really interesting to study because human ritual is so important to Islam still in a way that we've sort of lost it in Christianity, in my opinion. Yeah, did you want me to sum things up a little bit, Alex? Yeah, I mean, if you can close Anything it out for else, us. Anything else, uh no i I was just gonna add yeah i mean even apparently there was a story that's one of his miracles is that he was transported by gabriel to jerusalem um before he was sent up to the heavens i I don't want to get into that story it's too long now but yeah it's just an interesting note that that's also where muhammad would have went temple of solomon to pray so right that's really interesting yeah so i think that's a great way to end things I think I want to return to something we talked about in our very first episode, and that is why we chose to do this particular series. And for me, that hasn't changed. And I, I do feel like we, we did a good job of connecting the dots. So I think in our first episode, we were clarifying that the purpose for us as the reason we wanted to do this was sort of take modern, the modern world and the three of us live in North America. And so the, the religious field in North America is heavily influenced by the Abrahamic traditions. And we wanted to see like, where do these traditions come from? And in a place where right now there's so much tension between religions across the world and between people of different religious groups um, and a lot of misunderstandings and that sort of thing, uh, misinterpreting and feeling like we're so different from one another. For me personally, I really wanted to look back and put that and really point out how they're all interconnected and I think that you know with the example of you know right from the beginning we talked about Adam and Eve um, and sort of the genealogy that connects all three religions but then even today we talked we know we talked about the angel Gabriel um, which and what we were just talking about with Jerusalem and and Israel as the holy land which we didn't get into that Uh, it's a bit more controversial but that's still you know, it's a little bit tied to Jerusalem, but, um, and sort of these overarching theories, even the overarching concept of monotheism versus polytheism, which was popular and is still popular amongst other religious groups in the world. Um, and sort of these overarching themes and ideas and, and theology concepts that join and unite the three Abrahamic traditions. Um, and we hope, or at least I hope that these episodes and this series has shown a listener that we're really not all that different from each other. Um, You know, the Abrahamic, anybody who is a a practitioner or a believer of the Abrahamic traditions, you know, uh, I like to use the term, the people of the book, because I think it, it goes to show how united we really are and how closely tied the faiths are to one another. In my opinion, it just makes, the controversy and the hatred seems so silly and yeah I just think that we've I think we've done an interesting job of connecting the three faiths through history um, and talking a little bit about it from you know what it would have been like when for people when these the new versions were were going out like when you know, when Muhammad was, was preaching and and what evolved from that. And then we also talked about it quite in depth in the last episode, what it would have been like when Jesus 
started spreading his message and more importantly when St. Paul started spreading the message because it had such a wide influence. Um, so I think we did a really good a good job talking through a lot of those things and I you know I really enjoyed talking through them and I feel I feel happy with that. Yeah Ethan? I mean I'll, I'll interject. Alex? Yeah uh, <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm really happy with what came about. I'm happy that you guys were able to get together and we could do this together and, and uh, the past couple of weeks. And I hope that it brought the listeners a little insight. Um, there's always more information out there and you can always do more research. You can do a lot of Googling and find yourself out uh, things that you're, you're still uh, unsure about. If there's a lot of questions and people want to know more or other, other stories, you can definitely uh, comment, um, send those messages and we could have a questions episode. Um, but that's all up to the listeners. I'm just happy and grateful that Haytham and Mackenzie, you guys did this uh, with me and we did it together. So thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for giving us the opportunity. Mm-hmm, for sure. Haytham, do you want to say anything for closing? No, Mackenzie summed it up really, really <laughs> okay. well. And I think that was okay, the whole cool. point we were trying to, I'm, I'm glad that, you know, I think we did an excellent job in connecting all three uh, faiths. So. For sure. Perfect. Yeah. Awesome. So thank you, everyone. Thank you. Thanks.